Hi everyone, welcome back to How to Save the Planet. You're joined by... <laughs> Were you just introducing yourself? My name is Fran, co-host. I think I just got confused with the by and the with. For some reason, I was like, you're joined. What well, do you want to say your name? Well, my name is Mona and I am your favourite climate campaigner. <laughs> and I'm Fran, I'm co-host for this episode. Oh, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us again, Fran. It's so nice to have you. Yeah, thanks so much. I was really excited to jump in on this one. Yes, this is a subject that's so close to our hearts. International Women's Day is coming up on the 8th of March, and it's a great day to advocate for the rights of women and girls all across the world and especially important to reflect on how climate links in with so many social justice issues around the world. I mean, just this year alone, we've seen, you know, the fires in Australia, floods here in the UK and, you know, in countries like Indonesia. It feels like the impacts of the crisis are just relentless. So it's really important that we spotlight those who are front and centre of its impacts. We're really uh, proud to be partnering with Care International on this one. Um, every year they host the March for Women. Fran, have you ever been to the March for Women? Yeah, I went a couple of years ago. It was incredible. I joined at the part where everyone is in Trafalgar Square. Um, yeah, and it's really nice to be reminded just how many strong women there are in the world and sort of feel very proud again of, of how much we've achieved and, and proud to be part of a fight to achieve even more and achieve real quality across the world. Oh, that sounds amazing. Was the music great as well? Yeah, music was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that always helps. So this year, um, we know that CARE are focusing on um, kind of climate crisis and that, that will be the focus of the march. And it's an important one because when you, when you actually look into the detail, it's women and girls that are most affected by the climate crisis. Uh, they are the ones that maybe um, are kind of, kind of collecting water, so kind of feeling the impacts of it. They may be the ones that have to kind of hold the fort while men migrate to other parts of the country to seek employment and work. Yeah, a lot of women live off the land and, you know, if there are droughts or floods and your crops are, are damaged, then it's it's their livelihood and sustenance that suffers. So speaking about kind of the impacts of women and girls, um, especially when we're looking at the climate crisis, we're so glad to be joined by two wonderful guests. Um, the first guest is Helen Pankhurst. Helen advocates for women's rights with, uh, with Care International and she's also an international advisor uh, specialising on women's rights um, kind of across the UK, USA and Ethiopia. Helen's family have a background in advocating for uh, women's rights. Um, the name Pankhurst might ring familiar to you. She's uh, She has a kind of a strong legacy with her great-grandmother and her grandmother who are key people in the suffragette movement um, and kind of fighting for women to have their rights here in the UK. We'll also be hearing from Sostine in Uganda about a group of women's activists who are fighting to save the Baguma Forest. Firstly, Helen, thank you so much for joining us. We're really grateful to have you on the podcast. Um, before we begin, in case there are people out there who maybe are unfamiliar with you, could you give us a, sort of, a quick update on who you are and what you do? My name is Helen Pankhurst. I work for Care International uh, as an advisor. I'm also on the um, board of ActionAid um, and sundry other hats. Um, I've written a book called Deeds Not Words, the story of women's rights then and now. Uh, so I use that book as a way of talking about 
feminism um, in a lot of uh, different locations. So we all have our own journeys about how we kind of awaken to the climate crisis. Um, I, for one, started my journey campaigning with a charity in kind of the East End who worked on fuel poverty. So kind of the link between uh, poorer families and kind of the energy bills and the climate crisis was when I was like, oh, my aha moment. Um, Did you have a similar aha moment when you kind of realised, I guess, obviously, the kind of the influence of women's rights and maybe the intersect between um, climate um, and kind of gender? Yeah, I think that growing up in Ethiopia and being aware of environmental problems, you know, droughts and uh, floods and famines and all of that, the link between people and the environment was something that I was aware aware of from the beginning. And then with my work and with international feminism, the link between the two became more and more evident. Um, And then over the last couple of years, I guess, with this increased visibility of uh, the need to do something about it, it's risen up my own personal uh, level of interest. It's International Women's Day on the 8th of March, and I believe you're involved in uh, a march. Yep. Do you yep, want to yep. tell us a little bit about that and what yeah. it's about? So um, Care International for many years has been doing this march. It's called March for Women, and we have different themes um, over the years. So we started off on one year looking at water and sanitation, actually, and then we looked at the refugee situation. And this year we're focusing on um, climate and um, women's experiences within that climate emergency. Um, the event itself is a rally at the Royal Festival Hall, um, a lot of uh, kind of musical, fun, yes. you know, very, very well-known <laughs> people, just a, just a really joyful, come on, let, let's celebrate, but let's also do something about it type feel to it. And then afterwards, there's a march come uh, parade, I suppose, from just outside um, the Royal Festival Hall to Parliament Square. So it's, it's about celebration, but uh, this focus on women and the environment, but it's also about saying, come on. Come on, we've got to do more. Uh, I mean, also, I love a parade, so. <laughs> <laughs> lots of colour, lots of music, yeah. lots of fun. Yeah, I think people would be surprised to hear that because often when we speak about the climate crisis, it's very kind of ecological nature. And you do speak about droughts and famines, but to see the way it has almost kind of seeped into like the social reality and the, and the trickle effects it has on on in everyday customs or kind of everyday realities for young uh, girls and women um, is is shocking and compelling and probably not one impact that people think about. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, you know, immediately if you think about an environmental crisis, so if you think about floods or drought and you think about poor uh, communities in countries where they are that much more exposed to environmental disasters. It's very easy to realise that actually women are likely to be impacted more. I mean, they're impacted more because, for example, they're the ones collecting fuel wood to to cook meals. They're the ones collecting water. Um, so, you know, if they have to go further because there's less water or if the water has been polluted because of, um, uh, well, not polluted, but affected by uh, floods, you know, there are all sorts of ways in which women are at the receiving end, much more so than um, just generally the general population. They're also the ones looking after children, the elderly, the sick, etc. So all sorts of cumulative reasons why they might have a different and actually more uh, exacerbated experience. And yet Mm. their voice in policy and decision making in the formal aspects of the solution so invisibilised. That is a great point. Um, Have you experienced any of that during your work? Um, And I guess is there kind of, do you see 
kind of representation um, as a key part of one of the kind of the climate solutions, both in terms of a gender justice perspective? Absolutely. I mean, representation, voice, you know, visibility at the policy table, it has to be a fundamental way in which we can solve all of this. Um, and so so asking for that, demanding for that is, is pivotal. Uh, you know, yes, I have also seen the problem of a lack of representation on the ground in so many ways. And also, I have seen the informal work that women do. So there's, it's not like women aren't doing things. They are the ones informally, often on the ground when there's a problem, uh, getting on with it, you know, with their families, with the community. And and they're often then sidelined subsequently when the policymakers come and some larger systems of solutions are brought forward. So it's in that context that it's particularly important that these women who often have arisen in their own communities are actually allowed to have more power, more voice um, and can carry through with more change. Yeah, I mean, speaking about women who have had, who are fighting for power and voice in their communities, do you think in kind of in terms of yourself as a climate campaigner, um, kind of the legacy of the women in your family has shaped the way in which uh, you campaign and almost kind of the passion that you use to advocate for women's rights? Yeah, I mean, without any doubt, this surname is very much um, part of yeah. who I am. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, I, really, what I call myself is a global feminist. I think that is the... Um, the tag that fits most uh, comfortably in most of what I've done. Um, and that also means a local campaigner. You cannot uh, campaign for issues elsewhere without also understanding the links to the, um, the the local. And that is such a reality when it comes to any environmental campaign. So obviously you have this legacy with your grandmother and your great-grandmother, but was there ever a point where you wanted to rebel against this sort of <laughs> activist lifestyle? Because it's almost as if it was written out yeah, for you. yeah. Um, no. And the, the thing that actually helped me was that I only came to the UK as a 12 year old. So I grew up in Ethiopia. I, uh, I came to live as a 12 year old. Before then, I'd come for the holidays and then I'd go back to Ethiopia. And I think that that kind of formed me. I was who I was. And then um, then I, you know, I finished um, my education. And as I started to look, look for work, I looked for international development work. And then as I started to do the work, it became evidence that I had this family this lens on everything that I was looking at. So that became important. And then the environmental one was always there with woven in some way um, underneath. One other um, little anecdote, though, my great grandmother's youngest da daughter called Adela went to Australia and uh, I was interviewing her for the book I wrote on um, feminism on, on how far we'd got. And she remembered and she shared with me the following anecdote, which was when she was an eight year old child, she was walking with her grandmother. The grandmother said, pick up that trash that was in front of her. And she said, and so the daughter was quite reluctant and the grandmother said to her, do it not because you will ne necessarily make a difference on the world, but you will make a difference on your relationship with the world. But I think that's powerful because sometimes people often like, I can't make a difference. I, you know, I'm one person. Um, and obviously, you know, there are counters to that as in together we can make a difference. But the idea of every action is almost reaffirming why you're, you're campaigning um, and seeing the earth as not just this disposable place, but recognising every creature within it, you know, ocean, animals. Um, and that is like a... A beautiful ecosystem on its own. Yeah, and it also makes us a bit more humble because I don't know 
know about you. I, I yeah. sort of think environmental activism as a as a fairly new thing in relation to our increasing consumption of plastic and and all of just the things that we have in our life. And you go back and actually, in time immemorial, people have been trying to protect the planet and trying to forge this relationship with the planet. And that's such a beautiful story yeah. to share. So thank yeah. you. And also. I, I think the other problem, the other reason why some people don't get involved is a sense that there's so much, it's so big, and you, we are all so um, complicit. And we are complicit in so many ways. I mean, we're complicit on an environmental agenda. We're complicit in terms of gender norms as well. You know, we, we, we in so many ways reflect many of the ideas we want to challenge. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting parallel. We in so many ways behave in unsustainable ways. But that doesn't mean to say you aren't allowed to care. And that doesn't mean to say you can't do some things that will actually create a bit of a change in some areas. And those minute steps are really important. Helen, you refer to yourself as a global feminist um and you know even though here in the uk we are definitely not dealing with the same scales of kind of the kind of the climate crises but we've just this week we've witnessed flooding um across the uk um do you feel as someone who's had it kind of who calls home both in the uk and ethiopia kind of the bridging of international solidarity um and and how do we as campaigners or people in our everyday lives who are concerned about the crisis go about remembering kind of that that local to global, I guess. I think the local to global is absolutely pivotal. And there are so many people who have that in their own family's DNA, but you don't have to have it in your family's DNA to really understand that, to understand that on any issue. And the environment is such a clear evidence of that, that you can't just worry about what's happening in your own backyard because of so many influences from a climatic point of view that are more global. So, you know, in terms of climate, in terms of feminism, all of these are interlinked. You cannot resolve this one country at a time. So Helen, there could be a young woman listening to this in the UK or maybe even internationally. What would be your kind of key advice to any young woman or girl that wants to get active, wants to get campaigning? Where do they start and what would you recommend? Um, lovely question. I think that actually it's young girls themselves that are now leading the way in terms of providing advice. I mean, there's so many absolutely amazing ones right around the world. Um, having said that, I think my experience, my personal experience is that the more you engage with the world, the more the world engages with you. So as a young person, you know, what, what kind of a life do you want? And for me, the more engaged you are, the more interesting things to do, the more you care, care about the environment, care about those around you, um, the richer your personal experience. So go out there, don't be scared, start with small things and um, hopefully join us if you're in London, join us on the March and Rally on the 8th of March, International Women's Day. Um, the details will be provided I think yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of not being scared am I right in thinking that you're going to be speaking at I the will march? be saying a few oh. words absolutely and there's a fabulous fabulous lineup in terms of musical um, and people from musical backgrounds and all sorts of sorry backgrounds in music and all sorts of other um, wonderful people Amazing. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. Um, as you heard from Helen and Fran, make sure on the 8th of March that you are there for the March of Women. Your voice matters. People power is the only way we're going to change. Um, and we can't do it without you. So we'll see you there. 
As Helen said, there are loads of groups of women all over the world fighting to protect our planet and protect the planet from climate breakdown. The march on the 8th of March is all about the women on the front lines of climate breakdown. And we were really lucky to speak to Sustine, who's working with a group of really incredible women in Hoima district in Uganda who are fighting to save their forest. Hey, it's Fran again. This next interview was recorded on Skype, so sound quality isn't the best. Sustine, the woman in the interview, works for Napa in Uganda, which is part of Friends of the Earth International. Um, so thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. So um, can you tell me a little bit about the group? Ah, okay. Um, it is a group of um, very energetic, vibrant, organized grassroots women, and uh, they organize more under the principles of um, ecofeminism, the principles of um, um, uh, having environmental justice and how that links with women's rights and how their participation is in natural resources governance. And uh, the group um, is directly affected by um, the acquiring of part of the Bugoma Natural Forest that is in Hoima district. Uh-huh. And uh, these women have been organizing themselves to make sure that they challenge um, this injustice because if part of this forest is given away for sugarcane plantation, right. that means these women will lose herbal medicines, they'll, use, they'll lose indigenous foods because they basically are dependent on that forest for economic livelihoods and it is their source uh, of, of livelihood on a daily basis. And um, and uh, if, even if you do what, whether you put sugar, they don't have shares in the sugar, they cannot feed their children on sugar. So they decided to organize themselves and mobilize on ground and say, we are the women. And besides when everything happens and is gone, the food is gone, the weather has changed because the emissions the trees we are taking probably has reduced and there is drought and all these other disasters. It is us, the women, that remain behind and suffer to take care of the children and all the gender responsibilities and burdens usually transform and are more on the women. So they decided to organize themselves into a group and uh, most importantly to make sure that there is more of collaborative forest management activities like tree planting around the forest so that they can be able to protect it but also uh, be able to voice out their concerns. And how did they meet? How did the women meet? The women met through one mobilizing by the the forefront activists, Beatrice and Babazi. Uh-huh. And uh, they said that we have a forest that is going. So who is interested to join me in this struggle? But also they had also met in other NAPE earlier trainings around uh, like alternative energy options that we're doing um, in the rural area capacity building and gender responsive issues. So most of the women like knew each other from those small spaces, yeah. but then this was a moment for them to convene and say, let's do something together. But they always met on these other different angles and training spaces that NAPI had organized. 
Yeah. What are the actions that the women are taking? What are the, you know, they're fighting this, but how are they fighting this? Are they going to the court in Hoima? Are they, you know, um, doing activism and grassroots activism within the other communities? What's, what are the actions that they take? Mm, I think the most important thing was for them to keep criticizing this and uh, coming up with uh, key notes about the importance of the forest and why it should not go. Yeah. And they have that. And uh, they've used it also as a way of lobbying their parliamentarians, because in 2021, we are going into presidential and member of parliament electioneering. Yeah. So these men are telling their member of parliament that you allow the giveaway of our forest, we are not going to put you back in parliament. Yeah, of course. But they're also lobbying the Natural Resources uh, Committee of Parliament to say that if that uh, suggestion comes to the floor of parliament again, they should do what? They should reduce it. So they are not just a small group now, but they are mobilizing more grassroots women, farmers around the forest, orienting them on the aspirations of what they should be doing, and also the negative impacts of taking that forest, so that the movement kind of grows and the campaign grows. We really wanted to include Sustine because it reflects everything we've been talking about. Women in the Global South being disproportionately impacted and the inspiring things they're doing to fight back. As it was a long distance call and the audio wasn't great, I know Fran has been researching this project. Fran, is there anything you can quickly recap on? Yeah, sure. Um, so the group that Sustine was referring to, uh, it's called the Kwataniza Women Farmers Group. They're based in northwest Uganda in the Baguma Forest. So Steen says people have been living in and off this forest for hundreds of years, but there's been a bit of a political battle since like 2016, more or less, um, to sell off parts of the forest and make space for a sugar plantation. The women who live there are fighting these plans. They say, quite rightly, that they can't feed their children on sugar. And they argue that we should be planting more trees, not less, if we're to um, protect the climate. And just for a bit of context, Sustine works for NAPE, which is like the Ugandan part of Friends of the Earth. Um, and she's had quite regular contact with these women through a variety of sort of campaigning training and exploring alternative energy sources. So she really knows what she's talking about when it comes to this particular fight. Just people on the front line never stop inspiring me mainly because of their courage. It's very easy for us, you know, sitting in an office to be talking about the kind of the struggles that women in the global south mainly experience when it comes to the climate crisis. But when you're there and you have to have your voice heard um, and have to challenge sometimes the political status quo, that can be very challenging, can even be dangerous. So... I'm, I'm, I'm always in awe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sustine said that they have to have safety training when they come up against like big companies and governments. So yeah, the danger factor is definitely there. Was there anything else that Sustine said that stood out to you? Yeah, I think it was the use of community radio, as I said. Um, Sustine was explaining that's probably the best medium to use um, because people don't have smartphones, they don't have TVs. Uh, it's the most accessible and it's the cheapest. So they go on and they sort of um, relate to the different communities what's going on in terms of the fight mm -hmm. against this sugar plantation and try and galvanise more support. Um, and these women do it whilst raising families, whilst still trying to live off the land and farm yeah. and all of this. So, yeah, that just trying to juggle all of those different responsibilities. Campaigning superheroes. Exactly, yeah. generally. 
It's so interesting to hear these direct accounts and reminds us that we need to make sure that it's not only about preventing climate breakdown, it's about fighting for climate justice. And that's why Friends of the Earth will be standing with these women on International Women's Day. So make sure you get down there too. We can't wait. Helen can't wait. Fran can't wait. No, can't wait. (laughs) Um, And we'd love for you to join us with Care International on the 8th of March to come together and celebrate all that women are fighting for. So I think that's a bye from us. And we'll see you there on the day. See you on the 8th. Bye.